1: 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.
0: The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You have tuned in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. Connect with us for powerful, life-changing teaching and guest interviews that will inspire you with hope and equip you with the knowledge and skills needed to fulfill your destiny in the kingdom of God. Now, here is Glenn Blakeney. the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You have tuned in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. Connect with us for powerful, life-changing teaching and guest interviews that will inspire you with hope and equip you with the knowledge and skills needed to fulfill your destiny in the kingdom of God. Now, here is Glenn Blakeney.
1: that God is the one who makes wars to cease. Let's look at these two verses, Psalm 46, 9, and 10. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Now listen to this. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, when I began to just, you know, talk to the Holy Spirit this morning, I really just felt that the Holy Spirit was, was just beginning to, um, you know, churn in me this, this whole thing about God being the God that causes wars to cease. And there are a lot of Christians that are experiencing turmoil, upheaval. You are going through a veritable spiritual battle in your life, in your family, in different ways. And I want you to please understand today that God is a God that causes wars to cease. And many believers, unfortunately, have become battle-weary. And the reason why I believe this, they become battle-weary is there's at least two reasons, actually. Number one, they're using the wrong weapons. And we, we remember very, very clearly that Paul spoke about this in, in uh, Ephesians you know he said that we wrestle not or we fight not against principi- against flesh and blood, but against principalities' powers uh, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. so our battle isn 't against the physical it 's not in the natural realm, in other words, there is a battle there 's an unseen realm there 's a fight behind the scenes that we may not necessarily be aware of, and so sometimes what we try to do is what Paul says in second Corinthians chapter ten. He says, while we walk in the flesh, he's saying we shouldn't war according to the flesh. He said, because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, here's what I want us to understand, please, this morning— There is a battle that is happening in the spirit realm. There are principalities, there are powers, there are definitely things that are going on behind the scenes, and it's not just something that we can attribute to, you know, this is, this is something that's happening in the natural, or this is because of what I'm going through here in my life circumstances right now. No, there's something more uh, more, more, heinous in, in literally, guys, that is spiritual, and we've got to recognize this. And I know sometimes Christians, we, we over-spiritualize that. I understand that. but. The balance is the word is very clear that there is an unseen realm, and in that realm is where the devil operates, principalities and powers to try to hinder us from making the progress that God has for our lives. And Paul understood that very clearly, so he he said in 1 Thessalonians 2.18 that Satan has hindered me. And he specifically referenced that, you know, and he says basically that I, Paul, tried to come to you again and again, but Satan hindered me. And you've heard me speak about that before. That word ekopto in the Greek language means to throw up a roadblock so that you can't go through. And it it can be used different ways, metaphorically. One way is it speaks of a road that has become so broken down, is in such disrepair that no one can travel on that road. Another way is like a roadblock. And then the other way is in Galatians 5, he speaks about how you're running a good race. And then the NIV says, who cut in on you to stop you, to disqualify you. And, and the word that is translated cut in on you is the same Greek word that's translated hinder in First Thessalonians or also translated blocked. So who cut in on you so that you weren't able to finish your race? And the idea is of runners in a race, think about the Olympics, and one of the runners in another lane shifts over and knocks that person to his left down so that they're not able to complete the race. And we've seen that happen, haven't we? And who, who, who hindered you? Who cut in on you so that you're not able to finish your race? The idea is that Satan does not want you to complete your assignment. He does not want you to finish your course. He does not want you to complete your race. He wants to hinder you from doing the will of God in your life. So the scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? Right? So when we can't see those breakthroughs, when we're trying to, you know, go forward with God and we just keep hitting one roadblock after another and we're not able to clear those roadblocks, then eventually what happens is people become discouraged, they become disheartened, and then eventually disillusioned. So we've got to realize, though, that this is not the will of God. Yeah, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But we know that when desire is realized, it's like a tree of life, Proverbs thirteen twelve. The message, which is not a translation, it's a paraphrase, says this. It says, unrelenting disappointment makes the heart sick. Unrelenting disappointment makes the heart sick. But a sudden good break can turn your life around. A sudden good break can turn your life around. So God wants us to recognize that he has a breakthrough for his people. It's not his will that we constantly live in a place of warfare. Stress level is just way too high, guys. All right. Just, I mean, come on now. I'm, I'm, I'm bad enough on my own. I stress myself out. But I'm telling you, when the enemy steps in, yes... The idea is to hinder us, to stop us. But the uh, the fact is, God is saying, no, no, no. You can overcome the enemy. It is my will that you engage the enemy in battle, but I am not wanting you to live in a consistent and constant state of warfare. I want you to experience me as the God who makes wars to cease in your life. He's a God that makes wars to cease. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire so that the enemy is not able to prevent us from breaking into our destiny and experiencing the fullness of the abundant life that is ours in Christ. You know, God is into peace. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is the prince of peace. God is the God of peace. But let me tell you something about the way God negotiates peace. The way God affects peace in our lives is found in Romans chapter 16 verse 20 where it says that the God of all peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly in other words God's not into like just pacifying the enemy but in destroying the enemy so he doesn't just come up with well guys we're gonna you know in other words God doesn't negotiate with terrorists God does not negotiate with terrorists all right Barack Obama gave Iran $400 million. One of my friends that was actually uh, taken in prison in Iran was released as a result of that, Pastor Saeed. But the government, in a sense, is being perceived as negotiating with the terrorist state. So God does not operate that way, He doesn't have to appease the enemy. But let me tell you that a lot of times as Christians, that's exactly what we do. We allow him to continue to harass and harangue us and operate in our lives. And we just kind of like, well, back off, back off, back off. And it's just like, you know, there was a time, no kidding, I was praying and fasting and I was seeking God. And it was an incredible experience. The presence of God showed up one night. It was very late and it was around midnight and I was praying, and just as I was praying, the presence of God came into the room so strongly, so powerfully, that it, I just like, it was, it was amazing. And at that point, I felt such a holy, awesome presence of God. And at that very, very moment, what ends up taking place is the phone rings in our home. I answer the phone. I mean, it was like encounter. I was just having this encounter with God, and the phone rings right in the middle of it. I answer the phone. No kidding. Someone on the other end, I have no idea who they were at the time, they said, We put a bomb in your backyard. What? Okay. Isn't life exciting? <laughs> and I'm in the middle of this, and this is what happens. So at that moment, I knew exactly this is the enemy, this is a devil, and I felt an evil presence. And I just said, Okay, no way. No way, Satan. I was about to have an incredible encounter with God and that happened right in the middle of it. And I just began to pray and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And as I prayed and I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? Guess what happened? The Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me who it was. Now it didn't make sense because he told me it was my neighbor's daughter, but it was a man who was actually on the other line who made the phone call. But he said that. So at midnight, I went and I knocked on the neighbor's door. And I said, because this person claimed to be a Christian, I said, I just had a phone call. And uh, this is what happened. Somehow your daughter's connected to it. And they looked at me and they said, Oh, yeah? I said, Yeah. So they called down their daughter. Daughter was upstairs in her bedroom. She comes down. Are you involved in this? will you know anything about this phone call? And the daughter puts her head down and she's like basically like busted, you know? Like she got caught. And at that moment, I knew exactly what had happened. She began to tell me what actually was. It was a friend of hers. Um, they hated us because we were Christians. they we involved in Satanism. And they wanted to bring, you know, a curse against us and do all these things. And uh, so I found out who it was. What was going on, and it was thwarted? The enemy was exposed. And I want to tell you that God caused something that could have been a war in my life to cease. Something you know you know what fear's like? lingering fear, ongoing fear. When someone says, "Come now, come on now." When someone says, "Well, we're going to blow you up, we're going to kill you, we're going to put a bomb in your, in your home." come on, guys. Has that happened to you? Right? That's not a common thing, typically, is it? That's, that's quite severe. And that's exactly what happened. And so in that, I really felt the Lord was saying, look, I'm the one who will fight your battles for you if you learn to trust me. Amen. If you learn to trust me, I will fight your battles for you so that you don't have to engage in this in the flesh by your own power, by your own might, You don't have to try to resolve this situation because verse 10 of Psalm 46 says this, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I am God. What? And he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So God wants to be exalted among the nations. He wants to be exalted in the earth. But how will that happen when we are still and know that he's God? Now, one translation, the New American Standard says, cease striving and know that I'm God. Cease striving. You know what it literally means in Hebrew? Let go, relax. Let go, relax. Cease striving. But here's the key, guys, and know that I'm God. Those that know their God will do great exploits. If you know God, you will see circumstances in your life turn around. The war that you are in, the conflict that you are immersed in right now will come to an end because God is faithful and he will cause your war to cease. He will break the bow of the enemy. He will literally cut his spear in two and burn his chariot in the fire when you learn to be still and know he's God. The word that is translated know is a Hebrew word, yad. And it's it's actually yada. There's, There's a few different words. Yada means to know intimately and to know by experience. It's first used in Genesis chapter four when it says Adam knew Eve. I don't have to say any more about that. So Adam knew Eve, experientially, intimately, personally, at a level that is the consummate in terms of intimacy, as God defined it to be in the parameters of marriage. So God saying you and I are to know each other at that level. And it says in Genesis 18, verse 19, God speaking of Abraham, and he says, I know Abraham. It's the same word and he's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's got these angels there, and, you know, it it, it literally speaks about how the Lord said this. It's a Christophany. It's a pre, you know, incarnate appearance of Jesus, and what ends up happening is Jesus, the Lord, is speaking here, and he says, I know Abraham, and as a result of that, he said, I know him. He's going to command his family to follow me, And then he begins to unveil the plan that he has to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's saying, let's allow Abraham in on this very private matter because I know him. I know him. Interestingly, in Exodus 33, Moses begins to cry out. And he says, God, show me your ways that I might know you. Same Hebrew word. Show me your ways that I might know you. A lot of people want to see God do miracles. They want to experience the power of God, but they don't want to, or nor are they willing to invest the time, the energy, the devotion to know him. Psalm 103, verse 7, right? You made known your ways to Moses, your mighty acts to the children of Israel. Children of Israel saw the mighty acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. And when you know the ways of the Lord, you know the Lord and you'll always see his mighty acts. So there's a call to intimacy when he says, be still or cease striving and know that I'm God. He's saying, I want you to know me at this level of intimacy. I want you to know me as a friend. I want you to know me experientially and deeply. It's a very powerful word. The same word comes from the Hebrew word that denotes, listen to this, it's the Hebrew word yad, y-a-d. This word denotes the physical hand, and it means power, control, strength, possession. It can be used as an reference to an arrow and even an axle. It's a very interesting word. I looked it up. And it literally means to stretch out your hands, symbolizing a yearning for God. That's one of the applications. Psalm 143, verse 6. It can be translated an uplifted hand symbolizing prayer, praise, and worship psalm twenty eight two psalm one thirty four two the word judah because in hebrew there 's no j, literally is Yehuda, which comes from this word, and the idea of course, is Judah means praise to praise and to worship God. so the idea is to praise him it 's a confession. And even a declaration of who God is and what he does. Now, as I said, the root of this word, yada, means to the extended hand. And it involves confession, praise, thanksgiving, and worship by the raising of the hands. In exalting him and giving him the glory that he deserves. Therefore, yada means to praise God, give him thanks, and sing unto him by the raising of hands. Yada is found over 120 times in the Hebrew Bible, 70 times alone in the Psalms. There's also tehillah, there's also halal, but this is a word that is very significant, and it has to do with knowing God. So listen, guys, when you stretch out your hands, when you engage in worship the way God wants it to be, the way he and he's, he's really desires it to be, it's to literally be connecting with him and knowing him. Yes. It's not just a religious exercise. It's not just going through emotion. The Bible says that those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. There are people that raise their hands and they're worshiping God with their physical gestures, but they're not necessarily worshiping him in spirit and in truth. So it isn't just the, the actual expression or the act of stretching out your hands that it's speaking of in worship. It goes much deeper than that. It goes into the heart. It speaks of dependence. It speaks of of desiring to touch God, to know him, to encounter him, to experience him. There's a great example of it. It's found in Exodus 17. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they just came out of Egypt and they were on route to the promised land. And while they're there in the wilderness, what happens is a people known as the Amalekites attack them. And Amalek attacks Israel in the wilderness and what ends up happening is God calls forth his people to worship him in the midst of the battle. So Moses goes to the top of the mountain, he stretches forth his hands, and he begins to worship God, and the, literally the word that is used there is yada. And as his hands are stretched forth to God, he, what ends up happening is the enemy begin, begins to be defeated. But when he grows weary, then and his hands drop down, then the enemy begins to prevail. So what happens is Aaron and Hur, of course, come around. They, they literally uh, support his, his, his arms. And as his arms are propped up in worship before God, then what happens is the enemy is destroyed, and the children of Israel prevail. And I'm wanting us to please see very clearly here, guys, that... There is no way you're going to get your breakthrough until you learn to become a worshiper. You're not going to see the enemy routed. You're not going to break through. You're not going to know God until you become a worshiper. And I know a lot of times men have issues with worshiping God. Why, men? Because we have intimacy issues. That's the reason. And the fact is, not there are women that have intimacy issues too, obviously. But the truth is that we have to come to that place where we realize that God has called us to know him. This isn't about going to church. Church is boring. Without the presence of God, without God, whatever. Paul said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Listen, the fact is, this is about knowing the God who created you. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have a relationship with him, intimately and experientially. And he's saying the way that you you encounter that and you receive that is through worship, through prayer, through intimacy with him. And when you step into that place, here's the amazing thing. The enemy is also defeated, and he's defeated without you even having to do anything. God, I'm worshiping you. And the enemy's like, I'm gonna destroy you. You're not gonna be able to make it. You're gonna die. You're gonna lose your home. Your kids are gonna die. Your, your marriage is gonna break up. You're not going to be able to overcome. And in the midst of that, you just worshiping God and your eyes are fixed on Him alone. And then the, the Lord Himself fights for you. And the Bible says, Stand still and see the salvation of God. Be still. See striving know that he's God. He will break the bows. He will burn the chariot. He will cut the staff in two. As you just learn to worship and stand in the presence of God. There's another amazing example of this principle at work in the second Chronicles chapter 20. There's a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. It's, It's a very difficult time. The enemy is coming against. The enemies of Israel and Judah are attacking them. Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah are outnumbered, significantly outnumbered. At that very moment, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that in verse number 15, listen all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, To you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but the Lord's. Now listen to this. Then it says this. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeriel. You will not need to fight in this battle, verse 17. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Now, does that mean they just kind of, you know, sat down and went to sleep? No, they didn't. God told them to go into battle, but they weren't to use physical weapons in battle to win. They were to engage in praise and worship. And as they went forth into battle, then what ends up, it says in verse 21, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who would sing to the Lord and who should Praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord. It's the same word. Stretch out your hands. Praise him for his mercy endures forever. And at that very moment when they were worshiping God, the Bible says that the, the Lord stepped in and He discomfited. He literally caused them to be confused. And they ended up that the enemy fled in fear. And they didn't do a thing, they just focused on worshiping God. Now, let me tell you this true worship, true worship is bringing us to that place where we recognize. That we're not going to look at our circumstances. We're going to look at God. I don't care what it looks like with my kids. I don't care how I feel. I don't care if I'm depressed, oppressed, or stressed. I don't care. It doesn't matter because God says that I'm an overcomer. God says he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I don't have to live in this place. I can overcome. I am an overcomer. And as a result, but how do we overcome? It's not just... Confessing. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, it's it's great to make a declaration, but there's got to be an intimate knowledge of God. There are a lot of people that don't want the knowledge of God. I mentioned this when we were talking about the prodigal son. That there, you know, the prodigal son, his problem really was this: he wanted the gifts, he wanted the blessing, he wanted the inheritance, but he he really didn't care about relationship with his father. And we see the same principle operating in the church. God has blessed me. And God, I'm rich, I'm prosperous, I'm healed, I'm all this. And it's just all about the things that you can get from God rather than the relationship that you can have with God. And yes, he's a good father. And yes, he blesses us and he gives us good gifts and he wants to heal us and he does heal us and he does bless us people in many different ways. But the fact is, this is a relationship that he's called us into. You know, imagine if, if I married Lynn, and then on our honeymoon, she says, give me your credit card. And I'm like, where are you going? She said, like, I'm going shopping 24-7. I'm like, I thought you married me. She's like, you want it me. No, I just want you. I just want your stuff. I just want your money. I just want your credit card. Listen, no, no. How absurd is this? But this is the way we treat God. Oh, God, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me this. When we get in trouble, it's, it's gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Give and then, then what ends up happening is, you know what? The rest of the time, I'm good, God. I know you're there. But there's no worship. There's no intimacy. There's no communion. There's no fellowship. And what happens? We don't come to that place where we enter into the authority that God has created us to walk in. He said, Satan will be crushed under your feet. The God of peace will do it, but he's going to use your feet. My feet. The fact is, we have been given all authority over every stronghold that the enemy has. No matter what it is, we can overcome. Listen, guys. Let me give you an example. I told you that the word literally means... A hand, a hand that stretched forth and prays. It can also refer to, uh, believe it or not, an arrow and an axle. Think about this. When we lift up our hands, Yad, when we pray and praise, Yada, our God, we will come to know Him, Yada. And then what happens as a result of knowing him intimately when the enemy attacks us and we continue to praise him, yada, God will release his arrows through our praise, and God will literally turn our circumstances around because the yad, the axle, will cause things to turn around. An axle causes things to turn in a new direction. The same Hebrew word is translated in one Kings seven, thirty-two, and thirty-three. So God is saying, as you worship me, as you praise, you'll get to know me. And then what'll happen, he said, is I will literally bring you to a deeper level, a deeper level of prayer, a deeper level of intimacy that will release the weapons of warfare that will cause the enemy to be destroyed and the axle of God will turn your life around in the direction that he wants you to go.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. To learn more about us, including how to connect to our kingdom community, please visit our website, awakenations.org. Again, that website address is awakenations.org. If you're enjoying the show, Please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so other listeners like you can receive powerful, life-changing teaching. We appreciate that effort, and we hope you'll join us again in the next episode of Kingdom Encounter. You coming to bed, hon?